Our scripture lesson comes from the writings of the prophet Isaiah, the ninth chapter. The prophet is writing in the midst of warfare, talking about hope and peace and justice. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the trampling warriors and the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onwards and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. These words have a powerful and poetic cadence to them, don't they? They're seared in many of our memories after centuries of singing them or hearing them sung in Handel's Messiah. Wonderful Counselor. These words sound a particular way in my mind. They have a particular voice that goes with them. The voice of my grandfather. For the first 22 years of my life, every single Christmas Eve was spent attending worship, Christmas Eve communion, in whatever Baptist church he was serving as the pastor of at the time. And though I know we read the Christmas story of the birth of Jesus from Luke, it's this text that's forever in my mind, spoken from his voice, that was always part of the service. An ancient text that points us to the birth of Christ, to the meaning of Christmas and Advent. But in truth, the prophet Isaiah, who wrote these words, didn't know any of this, any of what we are saying when we look back centuries later. You see, he was speaking in a different context to a different time, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. In Isaiah's day, Jerusalem was surrounded 
by warring neighbors and worried by the threat of foreign empires, the question of his day was, would the kingdom be destroyed? Would the royal dynasty, the line of David, be ended? And so in the midst of this warfare, Isaiah points to the birth of a child in the line of the royal family. The child's name was Hezekiah, born in the midst of this war and worry. Isaiah points to this birth in his own day as evidence that God wasn't finished with them yet. That God was up to something new. That God would liberate the people from their present distress. And that a time of peace and justice would be ushered in. No, Isaiah didn't know anything about the birth of God's own son about Jesus Christ coming in Bethlehem centuries later. He didn't know those details. We read them there in His words, however, when we look back with memory and hope. Isaiah didn't know the details, but he did know something about the meaning and the mystery of God's mighty acts. And so it's no surprise that he was speaking a truth deeper than his conscious mind could even understand. You see, he knew from his own experience and from his people's past, he knew all about God's divine reversal. He knew about promises, covenant promises of peace, justice, shalom. He knew that the God of Israel is a God who promises to be with us. From the beginning, God with us. In Hebrew, that is Emmanuel. He didn't know the details, but he had glimpsed truth. And so he's able to talk about these reversals that we see in the text, about light shining amidst darkness, about new life, born in the face of death, about rejoicing that replaces lament, about victims who now celebrate God's victory, the boots of trampling warriors burned in a bonfire of peace and justice. He speaks words of light shining in the darkness, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light indeed. Those who live in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Deep darkness. The Hebrew word that here we translate deep darkness elsewhere in Scripture. In the 23rd Psalm, we translate that word shadow of death. That's what the people have been walking in, living in, for years and years. Those who live in a land of the deep darkness of death, on them light has shined. Some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture, words that infuse our season of Advent and Christmas with their very purpose and their meaning. But for any English teachers out there, or fanatical grammarians, something might stick out 
as a red flag in that sentence. Let's read it again. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. What's the red flag? Passive voice. This is written in the passive voice. On them light has shined. That'd be marked up with some red ink on most English papers today, wouldn't it? Passive voice. It's not that our English teachers hated the passive voice, but rather they recognized that sometimes when we're trying to meet a word count, you can squeeze a few extra words in the passive voice. More importantly, it confuses or clouds over who exactly is the subject of a sentence. What or who is the object of the verb? Active voice is clear. I did this. He did that. But passive voice, something has been done to me or to us or to a people. Passive voice de-emphasizes the role of the person who receives the action. Passive voice, something is done to us. Not something that we do, but something that is done to us. Friends, that's Christmas. That's Advent. It's faith in the passive voice. Not what we have done, but what has been done to us, for us. I was talking to a friend this past week who had come into town for Thanksgiving. He was on his way out, and I said, well, how was Thanksgiving at your house? He took a deep breath. He said it was stressful. Somehow, he said, my dad got in his head that we were going to have the Thanksgiving celebration that should be written about in newspapers or magazines. And my mom decided that she wasn't going to let anyone help her in the kitchen, and that just spiraled into hours of resentment and frustration. He said we would gather to take a picture because Dad said so, We needed the family picture. Well, mom's not here. She's in the kitchen. Someone go grab her. She's angry to be called away. And even angrier when she returns to find whatever she was working on had burned. He said it was stressful. It was too active. We do that to ourselves sometimes this time of year, don't we? We make Thanksgiving about what we do. But friends, Christmas is about what has been done for us. What has been done for us. We've walked in our own darknesses. In lands of the deep darkness of death itself. And on us, light has shined. Christmas is what is done to us. Just a hint for months from now, Easter is the same as well. Theology in the passive voice. 
is rooted in the heart of the biblical witness because what happens in Scripture is what is done to us, for us. We are the recipients. We are saved, accepted, forgiven. We are created, set free, made whole. We are reconciled, redeemed, ransomed, renewed, reformed. And most of the important points, the truths of our faith, we are the objects and God is the subject of the verbs that matter most. I hate to break it to you, but we are all objectified because God is subjectified. It's not about what we do, but what is done to us. Christ is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, not because we have done anything to deserve or earn or pay back what God has done for us. It reminds me of Last Christmas, last Christmas day, last year. A few things you need to know for the story. The first is that my grandparents had recently moved into a retirement facility here in Mobile. And the second is that we had recently purchased a new minivan. One that we hadn't exactly gotten used to yet. Christmas Day arrives And we, my family of four, pull up under the entrance to my grandparents' new home. We load them into the van. For the first time, I'm driving my grandparents, my children's great-grandparents. All the generations are in the minivan together. And I'm thinking back over all those other 22 years where every Christmas Eve, after those communion services, I rode in the back seat with my grandparents driving me to their house. Now I'm in the driver's seat. And they're in the back. We've come a full generational circle and we're heading east to Fairhope for a feast. Just as we come to the end of Interstate 65... Get on the ramp to curve east towards Fairhope on Interstate 10. I noticed that my accelerator is not in the active voice anymore. (laughs) No matter how hard I'm pushing, the car is slowing down, not speeding up. How could this be? I scan the not-yet-familiar contours of the dash and see in the bottom right corner there's this little needle that's below E and has been for who knows how long. We hadn't gotten used to the van yet. And so we creep to a halt on the safety of the shoulder on Interstate 10 on Christmas morning with grandparents in the back seat and kids waiting to unwrap presents at their grandmother's house in the way back. We were as passive as you could be in that moment. 
There was nothing we could do to get ourselves out of this situation. What do you it's Christmas morning. Everybody's closed. We end up calling Anna and Brian, who were celebrating their first Christmas together as a married couple. And they receive the panic phone call. Brian, who is now the Christmas hero in our family, jumps in the car and drives to come save the day. Along the way, also, an Alabama Department of Transportation truck pulls up behind us. He was just driving to see if anybody might need help that day. From the gift of a perfect stranger and the willingness of a friend to come to our aid to save us while we were stuck, while I was in my own personal land of deep darkness, (laughs) I was able to glimpse a little bit more about what Christmas is and isn't. It's not something we do. It's something that is done to us. For us. We in humanity were broke down on the side of the road. And God said, I won't leave you there. I will not forsake or abandon you. On those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them... Light has shined. A child has been born for us. A son has been given to us. All of humanity. Not because of anything that we did. But the good news of the gospel is faith in the passive voice. On us, light has shined. And so in all the frantic busyness of the days that come, as we do all the eager, hopeful, expectant waiting, and we fill it with meals and shopping and wrapping and events and activities, my hope is that we will remember that all that we do is merely an afterthought. It's our response to what God has already once and for all done for us. Thanks be to God for the good news in the passive voice, the good news that on us light has shined. To God alone be all honor and glory now and forever. Amen.